Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. Today, we're talking to Dr. Kathleen Cooney. She gave us such a phenomenal insight into end of life, how to communicate with your veterinarian and what to really want, expect and explore for end of life for your pet, whether you want hospice or you want a certain kind of euthanasia or a certain kind of plan. Talking about it, pre-planning it is just one of the most important pieces that we as pet owners can do before we need it. Now let's listen to what Kathleen tells us about how it's going to work for us and how end of life has just gotten a little bit softer with our pets. Hi, everyone. It's Deborah Hamilton, Why Do Pets Matter? And today I'm here with the lovely Dr. Kathleen Cooney. She's a veterinarian who also is the director of education at the Companion Animal Euthanasia Training Academy. And Kathleen, you have so many other things you're involved with. Let us know what it is you do. And I am just so grateful you're here. Thank you. Thank you, Deborah. It's very it's a very important topic, uh, end of life for pets, and I'm just absolutely delighted to be here with you and to get to share a bit of my backstory and why I fell into this work and this and this calling. And and uh, that's always kind of the way I look at it, very serendipitous when you find where you're supposed to be. Oh, yeah. So I am. Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, I love what I do. I get up every morning and, and uh, looking forward to supporting families. So, yes, I am the founder and director of education for the Companion Animal Euthanasia Training Academy. I am also Chief Medical Officer for Caring Pathways USA. Caring Pathways is a mobile end-of-life specialty veterinary service based out of Colorado that is also in national expansion. So working into any community nationwide that needs extra support in this area, right, to support the pet-loving community and provide that advanced end-of-life support in the home setting. I'm also affiliate faculty at Colorado State University. Uh, I'm based here in Colorado, beautiful Loveland, Colorado, just south of Fort Collins area. And at Colorado State, I teach animal welfare. I also teach euthanasia and hospice care to the DVM uh, veterinary students and have been doing so, oh my goodness, now, uh, certainly for euthanasia and hospice, probably 15 years going on, something like that. And then uh, with animal welfare, a couple of years, because I'm actually working on being board certified in animal welfare with a specialty in end of life. 
So, you know, that's me in a nutshell, but I've been specializing in end of life since about 2006, mobile euthanasia work, then growing into hospice, palliative care. I also ran a pet crematory up until about a month ago and and certainly love speaking and writing on on everything to do with with end of life care. Well, you know, it is such an important topic to talk about that no one wants to talk about Uh, it really makes a big difference if you can have these conversations in a thoughtful way. I love the way you put first out of the box. I love supporting families because this is a family decision. This is a family um, process that takes place. These animals are no longer just animals. They are companions. They are family members. So when end of life is contemplated or necessary, being able to have that conversation in a warm, supportive, um, loving environment, and and being able to say goodbye to your pet in a loving, warm and supporting environment is really key. And I know that I've had dogs forever in 17 days and only I'd say in the last 10 or 20 years have I been able to say goodbye to my dogs at home which makes it easier for me and easier for them. And I recognize it's different for veterinarians. However, it really is something that the service that you're providing is just so important for the pet owning public. Yeah, you know, when we think about what does a veterinarian do, a veterinarian's role is to provide health and medical support for animals. Right. So that's at the heart and the center of my work, first and foremost, is what does my patient need? Because that's the skill set that I have. But then we layer it on top of that and say, well, what else? You know, certainly what does our pet patient need? What does the animal need? But what about those clients, the pet owners, the caregivers who are going to be nurturing now this pet through its end of life journey? So in animal hospice, we actually define the patient as the pet and the pet owner uh, because they are a unit. And so they're going to be walking this journey together. And then I'm going to be right there with them as their guide or their chaperone. So, yeah, there's a lot more complexities there. And then as a veterinarian, I have to wear many hats. I am first and foremost, the medical director of care, but I'm also grief support counselor. Much of the time, I'm kind of a social worker role where I'm helping with decision-making and, you know, what, what factors do we need to consider here with regards to euthanasia or hospice aftercare? I tend to be receptionist and a bookkeeper. (laughs) I tend to do a lot of different things in one way or another. But yeah, during any given appointment, depending on the purpose of that appointment, whether or not it is euthanasia or an end-of-life consultation or a hospice recheck, yeah, I'm wearing many different hats. And so those of us who generally get into this line of work or this field really love medicine, but we love people too, right? We love to walk the journey with them. It is about that journey. So this is a perfect segue into our first question for every one of our guests, which is, Kathleen, why do pets matter to you? Pets matter to me because at least in my sphere of influence, they are... um, (laughs) They're an absolute joy, right? They bring such richness and intimacy to my life, to my family's life, to my community that I see day in and day out, right? I love to go to the store and see the dogs walking down the aisle. I love to see pictures all over my social media of people and their cats. Of course, we all know about the human-animal bond, but I love to see it in action. Uh, For me, becoming a mobile veterinarian 
Part of the reason I did that is because I'm a story gal. I could listen to people talk about their pets all day long because I love the story of my own. So when I get to go into the home setting, again, very, very intimate, very raw, very real uh, to see the pet in its home environment, to see how the family interacts. I get to see the pictures all over the walls. I get to see the you know, graduated from puppy class certificate up on the refrigerator, you name it. That's that gives me so much more of the picture and the backdrop of that animal's life. So, you know, what do pets mean to me? Why are they important? They're the there's so much of the life force of our society. I can't imagine life without them. You know, it's it's so interesting you said that. And part of their life with us is that they don't live 100 years, except if you have a turtle um, or a parrot, then maybe you will not outlive your pet. But before that, you're not going to outlive your pets. So when you bring these wonderful beings into your life, that human animal bond, you know, as I as I hand a puppy off and often I tear up when I say this, when I hand a puppy off, I know I'm giving you the best day of your life and the worst day of your life. Because yeah, this is not going to last the whole time. And and as a breeder or as a veterinarian, you're there to support the person to live the best life with their pet for as long as you possibly can. You hope that is as long as the breed allows. Um, some of them are 20 years. Some of them are 10 or 15. Some of them are less. But as a, a vet who supports the care of the pet end of life, this must really be something that is important to you. Why do pets matter? Will you bring these pets into your life you want to care for them every day and then when that intimate time comes support the owners to know they're doing what is best for the pet i you know i always say to my my clients and my friends you know remember it's about the pet and not about you Mm, yes very well said you know i'll just share a quick story that over the weekend i was driving with my kids my kids are now teenagers but for the last Well, all of their life that they can remember, mom, me, has been involved with death care. And so they have seen, you know, countless deceased pets. They have heard my conversations talking about this euthanasia, this hospice journey of all my clients. It's very palpable for them, very tangible. And I asked my children as we were driving in the car, I said, hey, tell me your top three wishes. You know, what would you want? And one of my daughters of her three wishes, one of them was to have all animals live as long as we do, right? Because she's very aware of that short lifespan. So just just off the top of my head, thinking about that, listening to you talk, Deborah, is that we're all affected by it. We all wish that our pets lived as long as we do. So my role in those that specialize in this line end of life journey is very peaceful, very meaningful, very uh, sustained and comfortable. But those of us who specialize in end of life work, this is what we live and breathe. And it's quite an honor. I mean, a a real honor to be able to chaperone these pets as they prepare to exit this life. And whether or not that's early on in the process where, you know, the pet's been just diagnosed with a life limiting condition, maybe cancer, congestive heart failure, 
or where we as a veterinarian will recognize that age-related changes are advanced enough that death is coming, maybe in a couple of months, maybe in a couple of weeks if it's really advanced. But once we recognize that death is coming, we shift, right? In fact, animal hospice and advanced end-of-life care is really more of a philosophy of care where we elevate what we're providing during that time. So it's very much um, a partnering, a, a journey together. And oh, I, those of us, again, who do this work and really find it to be our calling, can't really imagine doing anything else. In fact, working now with Caring Pathways, I just signed on as their chief medical officer earlier this year in 2021. I am just so delighted and impressed by this team that I've signed on with that this is their whole career focus now. They don't do traditional vet med anymore. They've completely shifted. And now that this is what is fulfilling them in their career, it's it's remarkable. So tell me a little bit more about that, because some people might say, well, how can you focus every day on helping people um, end of life, uh, provide for the end of life or plan for the end of life of their pets. Uh, You're not living that happy time when they're there. You're living that sad time. And I think the language you used was so important. It's the honor of a lifetime, I think, to help someone transition in a peaceful manner. And so what you're doing, I believe, and tell us more about it, because I think this is the mindset of people who have taken on this um, specialty, so to speak, is to help people transition with their pets. Because all of us know when we lose our pets, as your daughter pointed out, you know, it is a life altering um, experience. How can we help those people survive, quite frankly, that life-altering experience? Um, How do we help them move on from that life-altering experience? But how can we help them feel as if they were there for their pet to the very last minute, which I think is what all of us really, truly want to do? Yeah, beautiful. So so veterinary medicine often is supporting pets from what we call womb-to-tomb, cradle to grave, birth to earth, right? All the way through. So that's traditional general practice wherein the puppy kitten visit happens, or of course, any other species that's brought in. And we're walking that journey with them all the way through. Those veterinarians that have that relationship often are able to carry through that care through death, right? And then there's situations where they either can't for a variety of reasons, or they're looking for specialists such as myself and and others out there that are really well-versed in this area that can walk that journey as safe and as kind of consistent and uh, manageable as possible, right? Where we really specialize in this area. So those that do specialize in this area have done so because they love the story. They love the the impact uh, that their work is doing for these families. And to get back to the original question of, you know, isn't this very dark and macabre and, and how can we just, you know, focus on death? Well, that's not necessarily the way we see it, even though on the periphery, that's probably the way, you know, the big question is. And we certainly get that question all the time from our clients. I don't know how you do what you do. Isn't this job different? difficult. Our job is almost always, you know, our our clients or the pet owners are the ones who have the hard job today, right? Especially when we're talking about euthanasia. Nobody wants to say goodbye to their dear friend. A lot of us have a little bit of removal from that where we maybe haven't worked with this pet all the way from womb to tomb. That idea that uh, there's a little bit of separation. But ultimately, 
what carries us through is that we're focused on the principles of our work and not the outcome. If we focus in on the outcome, the outcome all the time is going to be death and often sadness and overwhelming emotions on more of that negative side. However, when we are principle-based, we focus on Am I able to deliver the best care possible I can for this pet? Am I going to provide education? Am I going to look at all of those factors that could make, you know, for us to need to move forward with euthanasia sooner? Maybe we've got the option for hospice and palliative care, whatever it is. We're very driven by these factors along with the beautiful blend of compassion, right? Caring for this family and truly understanding what they're going through. Then whatever the outcome is, is going to be, right? It's about relinquishing control. Relinquishing control is really important in death work, right? We cannot predict exactly what any trajectory is going to be. You know, are we going to think about, you know, maybe natural death is what we want for this cat, but we do need to step in and help with euthanasia. Again, it's all about let's go ahead and open up that communication, put together a really good plan of care, whatever the outcome is, the outcome is. But it's heavily laden with compassion and it can be laden with joy, uh, with overwhelming pride in the pet and the relationship throughout its life. I mean, we can start to harness more of those good emotions and feel then very positive about the whole experience. And I'll just close with this kind of part of our, of our time together by saying that when I do my job well, my clients are so, they're sad. Don't get me wrong. The loss is very hard. It's very laden with those, with those um, you know, emotions that go along with the stages of grief for that matter too. But they are empowered. They're imbalanced. They, or I'm sorry, they're balanced. They feel good about that journey so much so that it's not uncommon for them to go and want to adopt a senior pet. Right. And, and wow, what what huge praise that is and a good legacy that has come now from the loss of this pet, that a family would be willing to go out and adopt a senior knowing that they might have to walk this journey again in a short amount of time. You know, that is such an important piece of information that you shared, because as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, we've come such a long way in veterinary medicine in that we recognize this transition is totally emotional needs communication, um, needs transparency, needs compassion, because it is a very difficult thing. It's, it's often say, said that people go, oh, it's only a dog or a cat, get over it, where when they are your companions who you come home to every night, whether you have seven kids or no kids, they're the ones who are there saying hello and not asking for anything every single day, except maybe you know food or whatever. Uh, it is important that the veterinary industry has really picked up on the need to have people like you provide services uh, like end of life in a compassionate way so that we do transition. And I use this word with all love and respect joyfully, because mm -hmm. the fact that you have been able to spend the last five, 10, 15 years with this animal who has colored your life, that adventure was completely colored by this animal. Um, this animal is leaving, and I use that term animal in a loving way, not as in a you know eunuch way, but whatever animal's in your life and it leaves you, it is, it is impactful to how you look forward. And the fact that veterinary medicine, and I'd love for you to say more about why you think this transition or this niche has opened up. Um, I have my suspicions, but I, I'd love to hear yours. 
in veterinary medicine because it really has made a big difference in how we say goodbye to our pets. Yeah. So this this area of vet med was ripe to grow, right? And in fact, there was some pioneers back in the 1980s, the 1990s that said, you know what, we can do more for these pets at the end of life, paralleling what we do in human hospice, right? So, and, you know, human hospice was founded by nurses that said, you know, we definitely can provide more palliative medicine and more comfort as, as the dying reached those final days, those final moments. And why in veterinary medicine with our animals, is it always kind of like, take these pills and call me when you're ready for euthanasia. There's a lot of gaps there. There's a lot of pitfalls that can happen wherein suffering presents, right? And so with me focusing a lot on animal welfare these days, it turns out I've been really focusing on animal welfare for years and didn't really understand the extent of it. So to say that, you know, when a life-limiting illness is diagnosed, or again, those age-related changes are advanced enough that death is coming, to say this is the time now to open up the dialogue with the pet owners about, about options, right? Do you want your pet to pass naturally? Do you want euthanasia? Are you able to provide medicines? What kind of therapies are we looking for? What's important to you with regards to religion and spirituality, right? To actually bring up these conversations with clients so that there's no regrets, you know, that we could talk to them openly about what they're looking for. Now, as long as that aligns with good medicine and again, positive welfare, that we're not putting these animals in a risky state of health that could lead to negative states, then, then it's a win-win, right? We're, we're setting the, the pet owners up for success by not forcing them into anything they don't want to do, giving them options. As my friend Colleen Ellis says, give them cans in a time of can nots, right? Because right now they've just been told because of this condition, they're not going to have the pet for another five years. They're not going to have them for another two years, even a month for whatever the case may be. What can we give them? We can give them really good medical options. We can give them times to memorialize and tribute, uh, have parties, right? We talk about clients that will set parties for their pets, going away parties right before euthanasia. I mean, all these possibilities open up when we give the space to people to talk about what's important to them. Then again, all of this aligning with what we know is going to be best for that pet. And for that, we're talking about nutrition. We're talking about pain management. We're talking about hydration, maybe antibiotics or maintaining or, or mitigating, reducing infections. You name it. There's a whole host of things that we can do. And those of us who really specialize in this area, uh, pay attention to the latest advances in research and palliative medicine so we know what to reach for. That's why I find more and more these days that traditional veterinarians in brick and mortar hospitals, if they don't have kind of hospice palliative medicine departments, they will refer to groups like Caring Pathways and to others that are out there because this is what they do. They know it inside and out and they're really well positioned to walk this journey with pets and their families. You know, it's, it's the ability to know your limitations as a veterinarian. If you can't really give the support to your client who you've known for 10 years, who's losing their pet now, it's not as if you're giving up that end mm -hmm. of life discussion. Rather, you're giving them the opportunity to choose an enhanced discussion yes. an enhanced ability to spend those last days, weeks, months with the pet. 
in a way that really gives the pet that best last effort. I know that that for me, I had a dog with um, hermangiosarcoma who loved to hunt. And uh, we took him out hunting the day we took him to put him to sleep. And he found three birds and pointed them and he was you know, still eating and everything else, but he definitely was he gave you that look. And I know, Kathleen, you know what I mean. You know, he gave you that look. He was not feeling well. You bring him out in the field and he would drop dead in the field hunting birds. So that's what we did. We gave him his last best thing. And of course, the McDonald's hamburger, which is a must after a hunting night, uh, hunting day. And then we let him go. And was it hard for us? Absolutely. Was it the best day of his life? Likely, yes. You know, I always say to my dogs, whenever they're having a good day, this is the best day ever. And then the next day could be the best day ever. (laughs) Just wanting to really make sure that they're enjoying themselves every moment possible. And you bring up the very important but yet sensitive topic of how do we know it's the right time? And for this, I've learned in all my years that it's extremely individual. And we all are shaped by our previous experiences. And me as a veterinarian, it's important that I'm open to those experiences to, again, opening up the floor to hear that from my families. I want to know, have they ever chosen euthanasia for another pet? Have they ever had a dog diagnosed with hemangiosarcoma, to your point? You know, have, have do they have any any familiarity with this in any way. And if they don't, then I have a little bit more work cut out for me to make sure that they understand what all those options are. But if they have gone through it before and maybe it wasn't the most positive experience, how can I help to protect that this time to help to inform them about better ways, better approaches where we're really walking in partnership where I'm not like this dominant, you know, force over the top of them telling them what they have to do, but rather coming to that to that common safe ground where everybody's going to feel good about whatever decisions are being made. That's again how I work and practice in that principle space versus that outcome space. Now, that does not mean that if a family says to me, I, you know, I want to euthanize there's still going to there still needs to be some conversation around that that's my job as a veterinarian that's the oath that I took to make sure that all of those factors are lining up that says that yes this is the best decision to make and honestly deborah sometimes it is i might not think that it's the right time for euthanasia for example like oh i've i've got all these palliative medicine options and things that i can provide but it's vital, absolutely vital that I listen to the pet owner, to my client and say, what are their financial concerns? What are their time constraints? What are their physical limitations to provide care for maybe a 150 pound dog when the owner might be, you know, an elderly person that just doesn't have the ability to get that dog up and down, you know, the stairs. And why that's so important is because if I just say no, for example, to euthanasia, and I don't know all of the complexities behind it, I might be leading that that pet towards a time of suffering, right? So what is going to be that that just that perfect time to release that pet from its body when we know that death is coming, when we know that more difficulty is going to come as those symptoms worsen? 
then yes, I should be, you know, I should be open to and advocating for euthanasia if that really seems like the best course of action. And then I've had situations where it's clear that the family really doesn't want to euthanize. They do want other choices, but all they knew was euthanasia. They didn't know that maybe some pain medication or, or some other you know, modality might work and make a big difference. So that's where we get a little bit of that green flag and say, oh, well, here's some choices. We can do everything. We can do some of it or we can do just a little bit. And if a little bit doesn't work, then we know that we can move forward with euthanasia with often for families, uh, you know, kind of more of a clear conscious right? That they've, that they've tried what they can. In fact, there's a study that came out in 2019 out of Canada. I think it was 19, maybe it was actually published in 20, but it looked at what are those things that, that clients are looking for with regards to euthanasia and kind of what's their emotional state? What is the level of support that they're looking for from their veterinarians? And the number one thing that came to the top of that list with regards to euthanasia was validation. They wanted to know that they were making the right choice and that their veterinarian supported them in that. So again, that speaks to the importance of that partnership. You know, it's so interesting you said that because while you were talking, I was sitting there saying to myself, Kathleen, this is such a delicate dance because you want to give them all this information, but you don't want to make them feel guilty that they might not want to do that or they might not be able to afford it. I love that you said, do they have the time? Do they work full time? Can they take care of a dog who needs to go out eight times a day? Can they lift a 150 pound dog who's lost use of its rear? You know, these kind of things, you, you really, as a pet owner, and you know this as a veterinarian supporting pet owners, you feel as if you are the most horrible person in the world if you think, I just don't have the time, or I just don't have the strength, or I just don't have the money. And that is a valid concern that we all have to take into consideration. And I loved how you put in, it's a validation of, you are doing what you can do for this pet at this time. Correct. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. And the most frustration that I've heard from pet owners, uh, fortunately, not usually mine or the, the companies that I work for, but others that reach out, for example, to the Companion Animal Euthanasia Training Academy that share, hey, my veterinarian did this or this happened and is this normal and should I be concerned? Often the conversation is around feeling judged feeling forced into something, uh, not taking the time and giving the space for a gentle passing, right? Feeling too transactional, too rushed, pet experience pain. Those are, those are the concerns. And what comes to my mind is, you know, where was the veterinarian team's kind of headspace around that appointment? What were they thinking? What was going on with them? Because obviously things can be much more complicated than what, what is shared with me. But but the hope is that any veterinary team that's working with a family is slowing down, establishing rapport, getting to the heart of the issue, the heart of the matter, asking a lot of good open-ended questions. What's important to you today? What are your, what are your goals with this meeting? What are you hoping for? What, you know, what previous experiences did you have and how did that shape you? Uh, as you know, Deborah, I'm I'm preaching to the choir with you, but communication, open, honest communication just gets rid of so many problems. And I think we as a profession can always do better in that area. 
Absolutely. And I think it bodes well that the profession has decided that maybe having people like they do for kidneys and they do for livers and they do for eyes have specialties where people do have the time. And this is all they do. They focus on slowing down, making sure they're not judgmental, um, having the people really have a conversation, tell the story and find out where they were, what they've experienced before. It's such an important time. I know that in many practices, the entire, and I know you felt this because you've probably been before this all started in practices where they did euthanasia and health checks next door to each other. Um, and, And the whole entire atmosphere in the vet practice is quiet and solemn if someone says, you know, they're putting a dog to sleep next door or in the next room. And you just, you don't know what to do. Here you are, you're there with your happy puppy or your middle-aged dog or your whatever. And somebody's walking out who's just, you know, we've all been there. If we've had more than one dog, we've all been there. And so you send your heart out to them. You really want to appreciate. But I think that the fact that there is somewhere that you can really take the time to do this now and I don't want to use the word enhanced lightly, but you can really enhance the experience to meet the needs of the people losing their pets on that day instead of just making it, you know, part of the transition, you know, from from the puppy whelping box to uh, the grave. It might be something that you want to share. Dr. Smith, I know you've been with me and Fluffy for the last 12 years. However, you know, it's it, is it a rush? Yeah, I can do it between five and six tonight. Uh, and and I understand that. And I've been part of that where they did it between five and six at night uh, at my house where they came over and I waited. Uh, but I think that the ability to share that information, that there is something else out there that can really support you in a way that this is what they specialize in. Um, And the costs really, and talk a little bit while we're wrapping up about the additional costs. I don't think they're that incredibly more um, than having your vet do it at five o'clock at night at the end of his day. Yeah. So a couple of good thoughts off of what you just shared. Yes. Veterinary medicine is continuing, continuing to specialize similar to human medicine and and that includes end of life. So now we do have end of life kind of specialty uh, experts, uh, veterinary specialty experts and nurses or technicians, right? We don't have a boarded specialty yet, but we have what are called certifications. So the International Association for Animal Hospice and Palliative Care has a certification course that's very robust. It's around 100 hours plus case reports that will certify veterinarians and technicians that's as close as we have to a specialty in this field, besides those who've been doing this work for a long time, who have really honed those skills. So that's wonderful. Then my group, CADA, the Companion Animal Euthanasia Training Academy, we actually have a really interesting hospital training program called U-Harmony. And the U-Harmony program is where our team actually goes in and works within a veterinary hospital's culture. Uh, looking at their euthanasia standard operating procedures and their policies, trying to help them to elevate it, to make those comfort rooms better, improve those communication skills, and even look at some of the business angle of it, making sure that euthanasia services are, are priced appropriately and that we're including in memorialization items and working with good quality aftercare providers, all of that. Then I also wanted to say that there is now the burgeoning field of veterinary social work. So veterinary social workers are now able to specialize in this area. Hospitals and even mobile services can hire on these social workers 
to be right at the front and center of these or the heart and center of these conversations, helping the pet owners to make the right decisions, to go through these complexities of these of these factors and these these things weighing heavy on their hearts. And so that everybody can come to, again, a good agreement and a conclusion of the of the way that this plan of care should go. All of that has been wonderful. And then to your point about the cost and everything, yeah, there's really nothing too, you know, outrageous or magical about exactly what we're providing. It's just really good quality medicine and emotional support for for the pet owner. And so, yes, there's going to be a price associated with that, but it's all very much in line with what it is that we're delivering. And so we kind of talk about it as premier services. However, it's really just services that are always available that feels premier, right? Because it goes above and beyond what traditional practice might offer. So probably the most expensive part of advanced end-of-life work would be that type of care that's provided in the home versus in the hospital, simply because there's an extra step that's involved, which is to move the veterinary team to that home setting. But Boy, with all of the growth in this industry in the last 15 years in particular, it goes to show that pet owners want it. They need it. They're willing to pay whatever it takes because they want no regrets. They want to make sure that their pet had the most beautiful, safe and and loving end of life experience possible. Kathleen, this has been such a wonderful discussion. And, you know, I was at the first International Veterinary Social Work Conference at the University of Tennessee. I'm sure you were there, too. We might have missed each other. But Elizabeth Strand has been on the cutting edge of this, making sure that this is out there, helping um, veterinarians and their clients uh, communicate better, understand what they're each going through, and helping them bridge that gap, which, of course, is that communication piece we talked about. There is so Mm -hmm. much covered today. I want to say that the one word that sticks out to me was the need for validation that I'm doing the right thing for my pet. And I think what you do and what your group does, Kata does, is just that. It it validates by communicating and listening um, and being transparent what it is you want for your pet, what it is you can provide for your pet, and what is a team you can both navigate to make sure your pet transitions joyfully. And as you said, at the end of the day, when you walk out the door, the one thing I always hope for is that someone desires to bring another pet into their life for a new adventure, as opposed to never doing it again, because it was so painful, I could never possibly do it again. Um, At that moment of loss, it absolutely is but we gain so much by having them in our lives that to be able to work with someone like you, Kathleen, to transition in a way that celebrates that 10, 15, 20 years, or if you have a parrot or a turtle, they'll be saying goodbye to you way before you're saying goodbye to them. Um, And that's a whole nother discussion. But Kathleen, thank you so much for being here. What's the last thing you would love to leave with the listeners? Because there is, I know, one thing that you really want people who are transitioning with their pets at this point to understand. Love it. You know, first of all, when you're talking about the word validation, a word that 
always sits in my heart is gratitude, right? Gratitude to the pet owners for allowing us to walk this journey with them. Gratitude to veterinary medicine to continue to grow all of the therapy options that are available for us to, to supply and, and provide for these pets as they reach the end of their life. So I'm just a big gratitude heart. That's the way that I live in this space. But my closing thought for our listeners is the importance of pre-planning and education to learn everything you can right now of what's available in the community, what's available and how we can serve, you know, your pet or if veterinary audience, how you're going to serve your patients so that we can um, make sure that this journey is as, again, enriching and meaningful and safe as we possibly can make it. No regrets. Dr. Kathleen Cooney, thank you so much for being part of Why Do Pets Matter? And until next time, kiss your pets for me. The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcast. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.